Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. It finally happened to the LSU baseball team. They dropped a series in SEC play, and that lack of pitching depth behind Paul Skeens finally bit them in the new you-know-what. As LSU drops two of three at Auburn over the weekend for their first series loss, of the SEC slate. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond the III. Of course, I'm joined inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire Dawson Iserlo. We got plenty to get to today. Busy weekend. We're going to talk Houston Astros and their struggles continue, not to mention not great news on the injury front for one of their pitchers. We'll dive into Raging Cajuns baseball and McNeese baseball picking up necessary conference series wins over the weekend. We'll touch the NBA playoffs, Kentucky Derby, even a little NASCAR for you, USL, USFL, and more. Of course, we want to hear from you. Game hotlines always open. You know that. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we're going to start with the LSU Tigers. They take game one on Friday. Credit Auburn for switching it up a little bit, right? They decided to throw their best pitcher on Saturday. They're like, hey, if you're going to throw Paul Skeens, who's probably the best pitcher in America in the college level, we're going to go ahead and concede that. And we're just going to let you go ahead and take game one from us. Because that's essentially the strategy that Auburn went with there. And Skeens was magnificent. Career-high 15 strikeouts in the 3-0 victory back on Friday there on the Plains. 15. First time an LSU pitcher has had that many strikeouts in a game since 2009. You know what they did back in 2009, right? You remember? That was a pretty good year. So Skeens, career-high 15 Ks, 3 nothing shutout victory at, at Auburn on Friday, and you're thinking, hey, now, they're off and running. Series win, going to happen again. Well, then Saturday came. Ooh, eight to 8-6 loss in game two. It ended LSU's eight-game SEC winning streak, the longest since 2017 for the Tigers of the purple and gold variety. And they were in control of this game as well. Up to nothing heading into the bottom of the fourth. And then Auburn says, hey, guess what? We can score two. Three runs in the bottom of the fourth. LSU responds, two in the top of the fifth. This is a back-and-forth affair on Saturday. 
But then Auburn says, okay, how about we just go ahead and plate four in the bottom of the six, one more in the seventh. LSU actually got more hits than Auburn did. Auburn committed two errors in that game, and Auburn still won. That's why baseball is what we like to call the great equalizer. They dropped the game. But we've seen this, seen the Tigers do this before, right? We've seen them in many of their SEC series drop a game and then still able to pull out the series victory. We've seen them do that. There was none of that. There was none of that. And the pitching, which we've been talking about for seemingly all season, is a problem. It was a problem on Saturday. It was definitely a problem on Sunday. Saturday's game, the pitching gave you this type of performance. Ty Floyd, which... They desperately want to be that guy. He's wildly inconsistent. He struck out nine batters in three and two-third innings. That's great. He also walked four and gave up three earned runs on two hits. You can strike out a ton of guys, but if you're still putting batters on the base paths without them getting hits, that's not optimal. And then came the bullpen. Gidry came in, got out of the jam there in the fourth. But then Coleman, who I think is still probably the guy that can help them eat up innings on the back end, was not good. Two runs on no hits, two walks, and one inning of work. Then Bryce Collins comes in to relieve Coleman, and he gives up two runs on two hits in one-third of inning of work. Gross. But then you thought, hey, RP3, this is Auburn. This is LSU. They got this. Well, Auburn decided to go ahead and just put LSU out of its misery by mercying ruling the number one ranked team in the country on Sunday. 12-2. And again, mercifully called after eight innings. It all began in the first when they plated six runs in the first inning. Six. Christian Little, who they keep hoping will figure it out, He didn't figure it out, is a nice way of describing this. I'm going to bring in a man who's very intelligent, an academic type of guy, crunches the numbers, understands numbers, right? Yeah, what what do we got here? Should be working in a front office somewhere instead of doing this job. I mean, that's a compliment. Make some calls, maybe. Maybe that can happen. I'll see what I can do, bud. Christian Little gave up five runs. All earned, mm-hmm. walked four batters, no strikeouts, gave up one hit, and didn't even last a third of an inning. That's bad, correct? 
Yes. Okay. Yes. Only one hit, though. I mean, there you go. There, there it is. <laughs> they can't get hits if you don't throw strikes, but it was an interesting strategy. I guess he was just trying to limit the hits. And then you bring in Griffin Herring, and he gives up an earned run and walks two batters. He didn't even get a third of an inning. Gavin Guidry, who they used on Saturday, comes in three and a third. He stops the bleeding, kind of, by giving up only three runs, one earn on two hits. And then Riley Cooper says, guys, hold up. I want to be in on some of this action. Can I, coach? All right, let me roll out there. Looking like RP3, trying to get onto the mound. Four innings, four hits, three runs, only one earned, walked a batter as well. Woof. What did we talk about? My biggest concern about this LSU baseball team is that after their Friday night starter, after what you could argue is the best pitcher in college baseball, a guy that could go number one overall, if not number two overall. They have nothing. They have no one that they can count on to give them five mediocre innings. I'm not even asking for five good innings, much less great innings of work. They don't have anyone that throws the baseball that they go, hey, can you go out there and give us five good innings on a weekend? Nope. Now, to be fair, they have three guys that could have done that, that should be doing that for them, that have all had have had, had surgery to repair UCLs. They got three of those, by the way as Leah Van from The Advocate reminded everyone on social media over the weekend. So, injuries has played a huge role in the pitching staff for the LSU Tigers. Let's make no bones about it. But these other kids have been recruited, yes? These other guys have been practicing, have been trained, have been coached, and they don't have anyone they can count on. Not Riley Cooper, not Ty, not Christian Little, not Blake Money. And Coleman wasn't even good over the weekend. And when they have an off night at the dish, which they did on Sunday, right? They only scored two runs on six hits. Now, they also committed three errors. The defense was atrocious on Sunday. What happens if they have an off night at the plate? This is what happens. Because they don't have the arms. They have the best arm in baseball, and they don't have anybody else. That right now, as it stands right now, it's not to say that it can't change. It's not to say that Coleman can't figure it out and be that guy for them in the last couple of weekend series that they have against Mississippi State at home at the box and then on the road at Georgia before the SEC tournament later this month. They could still figure it out. As long as someone can emerge and be like, Skipper, I got this. I can give you five mediocre innings. They find that guy, they can win the national title. They don't find that guy, they're not winning the national title. 
Now, credit Auburn. They took two or three last weekend at South Carolina, right? They just took two or three from the number one ranked team in the country after doing it against the number two ranked team in the country the week prior. So obviously Auburn is improving. Auburn is better than we thought they were just a few weeks ago. I will give credit to the Plainsmen slash War Eagles slash Tigers. I'll do that. Look, all that doom and gloom, and they've still lost one series all season. They're still going to win the SEC West, or at least close to it. Well, they're trailing right now. Or I said close to it. They don't hang banners for SEC West titles in LSU country either, I don't think, for baseball. They, they, they have, really don't care about conference titles either. Right. Um, they have maybe the best lineup in program history and maybe one of the best Friday night starters in program history, the best Friday night pitcher in the country and the best lineup in the country. You can't have it all. It's fine. Like they don't have pitching depth. They lost one series all season. Like I just don't understand the panic and the disappointment and the frustration of like they get baseball happened to them. They they won on Friday night. They had a crazy game that had a bunch of weird things happen on Saturday that they lost. And then they came out flat on Sunday. Like they lost one series the whole season. They're fine. And they're gonna still be right there. And Ty Floyd has he's been better than I think people give him credit for. He's getting you defend good Ty Floyd more than you should. He's, he, well, he, he, that, that, I mean, why? That, what that's do you mean your go-to. No, no, I, he gave you a good outing against Arkansas, good outing against Tennessee, good outing against Kentucky, good outing against Ole Miss. I mean, he's been good in basically half the SEC series. You're facing eight of you probably say good. The, I, you and eight I and differ. a third with three earned runs isn't a good outing against Ole Miss. Six and a third with one earned run against Arkansas. I don't know. I just, I just think the panic and all the and the frustration is kind of just. Uh, time out. Time out. Time out. I'm not an LSU fan. Neither am I. Number one. Number two, I'm not panicking. I'm simply making a statement. It's not all about you. I'm just saying in general. Well, well, you're addressing me, so. Well, you're the that, one in the room. There, there we go. I mean, I could talk to the wall, but I, you know. <laughs> the pitching will hold them back. This is baseball. You, you, you make my point for me. Weird things happen. The narrative has always been they have the best lineup in the country, and that is still true. What happens when you have an off date at the play, Dawson? Well, right. I'm just saying that. Right. So LSU fan, which you're not an LSU fan, and I'm not an LSU fan. LSU fan says expectations for the number one ranked team in the country this year is what? A title. There we go. Or close, or Omaha, I guess there, you should say. There we go. I say Omaha. I don't it's, put yeah, these in can't, title. Right. You can't expect titles in baseball. Right, it's, it's, too much, it's too much. It's too much. But LSU fan tells you national title, right? Right. What's going to keep them from winning the national title? If they don't figure out, once again, that's why I say that's what I said. If they have time to figure this out, you have more faith in Ty. I think Coleman's probably going to be the guy. We differ here. We both believe there's a guy on staff that can step up and be the guy that can be average. That's all they need. Once again, they don't need someone to be Paul Skeens. They don't need someone to be Ben McDonald 2.0. You know what they need? They need a guy just to go out there and pitch well enough for them to win. That's all they need. And they don't have that right now. Now, they still have a couple weekend series. They can figure that out. They can also figure that out in the SEC tournament. And once again, it was a weird weekend for the SEC. LSU lost two at three at Auburn. Number one ranked team in the country, right? South Carolina got swept at Kentucky. They're the number three ranked team in the country. 
The number four team in the country, Florida, they lost two or three at Texas A&M, including one in brutal fashion where they lost on a balk. Don't know if you saw that. Number five, Vanderbilt lost two of three at Alabama, who just fired their coach for gambling on his own team, allegedly. And number 18, Tennessee lost two of three at Georgia. Right? So it was a weekend of upsets in the SEC. LSU's going to come back home. Mississippi State comes to town. They're dreadful. They are. They're just not very good. And then they go to Georgia. Still got the best hitter in baseball. Best player in baseball, Dylan Cruz. You still got the best pitcher in baseball. But you see what happens if you can't find somebody else to step up. And to be fair to them, three of their guys that they were depending on this year have now been shut down to have UCL surgery. Three. Three. Not optimal. Still time for the Tigers to figure it out. Someone needs to step up. And it would be helpful if it was sooner than later. We got to take a timeout. When we return, Cajuns get a sweep. McNeese takes two of three big series wins for both the Cajuns and the Cowboys. We'll talk about that next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The LSU Tigers may have dropped two of three at Auburn, but it was still a good weekend for our teams here in Louisiana. Before you before you change the topic, can I say oh, one more thing? Okay. If you don't mind. Sure, by all means. Producer's note. That's okay. Um, it's the Dawson Heiser Low Show. Sometimes. Uh, I just want to help LSU fans out because I don't want them to have a rough Monday. And I already told you that some of them are panicking, saying the pitching doesn't matter. Well, this weekend didn't change any of that. Pitching's inconsistent. All you need is for a couple of guys to pitch well two weekends in Supers and in the World Series. The other thing you don't need to worry about is when LSU's number two in the college baseball rankings today behind Wake Forest, it's so okay. Like, it's, it's so fine. It's so good. It's so matters zero. Uh, number one, yeah, the, the whole number one curse thing, which, look, I don't think matters as much. I think it's more coincidental than anything and just kind of circumstance. Baseball's weird. It doesn't matter that you're number one or not. Um, but again, like in college football rankings, I think the rankings debates are, are kind of annoying, but I at least understand them because you have to be ranked in the top four and it's so controversial and subjective of who gets there. Uh, in college baseball, if you're a top eight seed, it really doesn't matter. Um, you're not even falling down to four or five where you're going to have to play a five seed in a super regional or anything like that. If you're one or two, you're going to play seven or eight. It matters zero. So there's no point getting upset about it at all. Wake Forest has a great resume and didn't lose their series, so they're going to go up one spot. It's so okay. So just go about your Monday without worrying about the college baseball rankings. <laughs> now you can move on. Look at D'Lo helping out the LSU fans. Yeah, tough weekend. You lost two or three to Auburn. You're going to drop out of the top spot, but it's okay. And here's the other thing. This LSU team, you know, 
would be, gladly give up being the number one ranked team in the country and falling to two or three for the start of regional play if it means that they win the national title. So, you know, <laughs> just say it. I'm just saying. Let's talk about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They improved to 32 and 17 overall and 14 and 10 in conference play. That's more important. With a sweep over ULM this past weekend, they went up to Funroe. Had the final game called finally, mercifully, <laughs> due to lightning and storms. They finally just called it for rain and lightning after it being delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. They take game one, eight to four, but then they start rolling. The bats did 12-4 victory on Saturday, and then it was a 10-0 game called in the sixth inning due to rain and lightning. So in the last two games, they outscored the Warhawks 22-4 to take the series sweep. No, they didn't score 25 runs in a game, but eh, they still kind of crushed ULM. Big deal for Matt Deggs' team because with the sweep, they now move all the way up, tied for fourth in the Sunbelt Conference standings. This is huge for them for a couple of reasons. They only have two series left. Texas State this coming weekend at the Teague, big series there, and then on the road at Southern Miss. So Dawson, they take care of one of the worst teams in the conference. They sweep them at their place. Now they're tied for fourth. They're in a great position with only two series games left, only six games left, rather. Two series, six games. Tied for fourth. They're in a great position to not only make the conference tournament, but to earn a top six seed in the conference tournament. Yes, but still uh, two very difficult series looming, and you could, I mean, you there's Correct. not a... They're, they're in the position. Right. The opportunity is there. That's right. They're in position. Um, and now you could just as easily go one and five over the next six games. I wouldn't be shocked if that happened, because Texas State and Southern Miss are also playing the best baseball. It's kind of a weird thing where, you know, a lot of times in college athletics in general, um, you have conference previews. And, you know, they just they try to do a good job of, of telling you who's going to be the good teams, and it really doesn't matter. We saw it in basketball this year. Southern Miss was picked at the bottom of the conference. Marshall was picked in the middle. Uh, the only team that stayed at the top where they were, quote-unquote, supposed to be was the Cajuns. And then about halfway through the conference season, we were able to kind of mentally readjust and say, okay, obviously Southern Miss is one of the best teams in the conference, even though they were supposed to be one of the worst. Like, we don't have to think about the preview anymore. Well, this year in baseball... We knew coming in, Southern Miss and Texas State were really good last year. They were going to be towards the top, and we thought the Cajuns would as well. Um, and halfway through the conference season, they weren't at the top. And you thought, man, maybe we do need to recalibrate. But here you go. You patiently waited out, and the best teams that we thought were going to be at the top are at the top. Coastal was the one who was maybe third or fourth in the preseason rankings. They're at the top as well. So I think it's an example of just finally, just waiting it out. And it doesn't always work like this, but the teams we thought would be there, they're playing the best baseball at the right time. And now uh, the schedule makers in the Sun Belt, I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but you're going to have a gauntlet for the Cajuns in the last two weekends. Southern Miss is tied atop the conference at 17-7. and By the way, they've won 10 straight. Texas State is 15-9, and just a game above the Cajuns. So that's why that series this weekend is going to be huge. 
they have won five in a row. They are 33-16 and 16 overall. The most wins of any team in the Sunbelt Conference play. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. It doesn't get any easier. Cajuns are 13-17. and 17. So this is a huge series for them against Texas State. If they could win this series, that puts them in the conversation to be the number three seed heading into the Southern Miss showdown. And they also get some help. You know, this notion that this is a team that wasn't going to make the conference tournament, I wasn't buying. I never bought into that. Neither did you. You look at the standings and some of those teams that people were worried about. Georgia State has lost four in a row. They're 11 and 13 now in conference play. South Alabama's lost three in a row. They're 11 and 13 in conference play. So the, the teams at the bottom that were battling to get into there are fading even more so. So there's starting to be some separation here as we enter the last two weeks of the season. Cajuns are going to make the conference tournament. But Louisiana Tech, midweek game this week. They're staying up there after Monroe. They just simply took the short bus drive over to Ruston, parked it there, and they're going to be taking on the Bulldogs tomorrow. Then they'll come back home for Texas State. So Raging Cajun baseball team has put itself in a good position. Tied for fourth now, heading into the final two weeks of the season. The McNeese Cowboys, they did themselves some favor as well, Dawson. Now, they got this weird midweek game at Nichols, which doesn't count for the conference standings because both them and Nichols needed a midweek opponent, and they got tired of hearing you complain about Southland Conference teams scheduling midweek opponents and the quality. They heard about it, and they said, we can't have that. McNeese improved to 30-16 and 16 overall, 11-10 in conference play as they were able to take two or three at home versus Lamar, 6-4 on Friday, 4-3 on Saturday. They lost a tough one on senior day, 10-9 yesterday, but they still win the series. They have a non-conference game against Nichols tomorrow, and then they wrap up their conference slate at Northwestern State this coming weekend before playing at LSU and then welcoming in Miami of Ohio to Joe Miller Ballpark to wrap up the regular season. And with the win, with the taking two out of three from Lamar, you look now at the updated baseball standings for the Southland Conference, and it is jumbled as well, just like everything else. Nichols still sits atop. They're 12 and 6 in Southland Conference playing. Carnate Word is right behind them at 11 and 7. Then it's Northwestern State, Texas AM, Corpus Christi at 10 and 8, and McNeese at 11 and 10. The Cowpokes are not going to catch anyone. They're not going to win the regular season title. The best they can do this weekend is take, win this series against Northwestern State, and vault themselves up into a top four seed for the conference tournament. Which wouldn't be too bad. With the two game with losing two of the three games, Lamar is all the way down now to the second to last team in the standings. So it was a big weekend for McNeese as they improved eleven and ten in conference play. They it's so weird for the Cowboys. They have the most wins of any team in the Southland Conference. They have thirty. And they're currently in fifth place in the standings. Because they had some early conference series. They let get away from them. 
They've been playing far better of late in the back half of the conference schedule, but we'll see if they can finish strong by going on the road to Natchitoches. No one just goes up to Natchitoches and just walks in there with, and expects to get a victory, Dawson. I know you're not that familiar with Southland Conference baseball or the Southland Conference in general. I think, I think Jamie would tell you as much. Uh, that's right. Mr. Green would tell you. He'd say, no, no. There'll be none of that. So Cajuns get a sweep. McNeese takes two or three key conference series wins for both of those programs. We got to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll talk Houston Astros baseball, unveil the poll question of the day. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Houston Astros, they did not win their series over the weekend. They did not. They did not get, Astro fan did not get to enjoy the thrill of victory as I did yesterday when I got home from church and turned on to Peacock. And I was like, oh. And there was my Bravos in extra innings battling the Baltimore Orioles. And we won it in 12 to take the series. I didn't see the new NBC MLB thing, but I heard good things about it. Was I enjoy it thoroughly. Uh, for me, it was great for two reasons. First of all, I got to see the Braves and got to see the Braves play. I like their broadcast setup, and also they had Ben McDonald and Andrew Jones on the call. Yeah, so we got a little Louisiana flavor and a former Brave. So it was it was good. It was very good. Um, many LSU fans were upset that Ben McDonald was not on the call for the LSU game. <laughs> Because he was doing the I MLB. Saw that. Yeah. yeah, they were. They were Listen, too. Happy. That poor kid from Auburn. We need to give him a break. <laughs> oh yeah, y'all, y'all got to be easy now. Y'all, oh, LSU fan gets gets a little salty. Astros fall three to one to the Mariners. Look, there's no other way of describing it. The Strohs are slumping, right? They had that great three games, the three series stretch where they took two or three from Toronto. They sweep my Braves in Atlanta, and then they take two or three from Tampa, including shutting out the best team in baseball back-to-back games. But ever since then, it has been struggle bus. Lost two or three to Philly, lost two or three to the Giants, and then turn around and lose two or three to the Mariners with yesterday's 3-1 loss. A couple things are happening for the Strohs. Yesterday is a good example where they weren't terrible on the bump, right? They weren't awful. They had to throw Belak yesterday, gave up four and two-third. He pitched four and two-third innings, gave up two earned runs, three runs, only two of them earned on 10 hits. Wasn't awful, wasn't pub on, but he wasn't great at either. And then it was Gage Martinez and Abreu even at the end. But it was enough for Seattle to win the game. The lineup, 
Dubon has started to cool off a little bit, right? We're seeing that. He went 0 for 4 yesterday. Bregman, 0 for 4 yesterday. Alvarez is still an absolute monster. 2 for 4. Abreu got a hit, but he also struck out twice. Someone shared something on social media that I shared with folks. It was a video of a guy helping someone move a piece of furniture, but not really helping them move a piece of furniture. And they said that's what Bobby Abreu's been doing for the Astros this season. Brian, uh, no, not Brian, uh, Jose. You said Bobby again. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Bobby. I said Bobby again. Uh, there's been a lot of Abreu's. I just... Look, Dusty's old school. He likes having his guys hit themselves out of a slump, right? We've seen him do it uh, with Alex Bregman. We've seen him do it with a lot of different guys over the years. Specifically, what he's what he's done with the Houston Astros. Does Abreu need some time off? Like I, or we're getting close to maybe getting to that point because he's really not giving them much, not right now. Yeah, I you know I, I don't know. It's one of those maybe you just let him swing his way out of it. But well, that's look. That's what Dusty's going to do because that's what Dusty always does. Yeah, and and, and well, look, you don't have a lot of other options either. Correct. To play first base, right? And you don't. You, you you don't have a lot of options. Period. So right now their bats are kind of slumping a little bit. Tucker's been in a bit of a funk as well, right? He was one for three yesterday. So they they just been off. Early season doldrums, if you will. And these things happen. And we talk about the Astros all the time. What do we talk about all the time about the Houston Astros, Dawson? They do what? They struggle early on. Right. They struggle early on. And I know Astro fan, much like LSU fan, is freaking out right now. We lost two or three to Seattle. We're fourth in the American League West. We're three and a half games out of first. And Texas is the top right now. They're 20 and 13. And I get it. But look, you got the Angels series that starts tonight. You can start getting right there. Take two or three. Still early in the season. Once again, it's only, what, May the 8th. You still got plenty of time. And here's the other thing. You're about to get Michael Brantley back this week, right? That's what the reports are. So you're going to get Michael Brantley back this week. And you could have Altuve by next week if if everything goes perfect. Or just worst case scenario, let's say you get Jose after Memorial Day. Okay? So you get him at the end of the month. So you're going to get Brantley back this month. You're going to get Jose Altuve back this month. That's a huge deal, right? You believe Abreu's eventually going to hit himself out of his slump. You believe Bregman will finally kind of get out of his slump as well. He looked like he was getting out of his slump, and then all of a sudden he kind of he's kind of gone back the other way. Alvarez has been absolutely mind blowing, ridiculous for this team. And you keep losing pitchers, but JP France was fantastic in his major league debut. Uh, the former Shaw Eagle, shout out to the Shaw Eagles. Oh, there he is. There Five he is. innings, no runs. Now you spoiled it with a bullpen meltdown in which you gave up seven runs in the eighth inning. But we don't have to talk about that. Let's talk about how good JP France was, <laughs> and how the Astros continuously just find guys who, you know, 
I mean, figure things out. Like JP France was, and and I said this. I watched him pitch a lot in college. He pitched at Tulane when I was still basically going every game. Um, he was a good pitcher at Tulane, a Saturday starter. I don't think he ever was the Friday night guy, and he was he was okay. He was he was good. He was a good pitcher. Uh, I never thought he was going to be a major league pitcher, much less starter. Um, he transfers to Mississippi State for his last season. Has again a decent season there. I guess you know taking a step up in competition in the SEC, and then grinded it out in the minor leagues for six seven years. And here he is. Like it's an it's an unbelievable story, and he was outstanding. And you know you imagine now he's going to get a second start. Luis Garcia's out for the year. That was the news that came in her key, maybe all-star break. I mean, it wasn't good news on the injury front. Garcia needs surgery. He's done. We find out yesterday, or over the weekend, rather, Chandler Rome reports, now with The Athletic, formerly the Houston Chronicle, that Urquidy may not be back until the all-star break. So that little trip to the IL is... Not but a again, that's trip. that's fine, and especially if look, and I'm not sure JP is going to be what he was, you know, a couple of days ago for this whole stretch. But right, but McCullers he, potentially coming back, and JP still got Force Whitley in the plans. Like again, it's fine, and and they had seven starters to start the season. Nobody has that. Um, they had depth for a reason, and now it'll get tested a little bit. But I think they're fine. I think the I would if I was to pick again. I don't get concerned in May, but if I had to pick a concern, it would more be the guys like Abreu uh, that are just really not coming along more so than the pitching staff. I would agree with that. And here's the other thing: we brought it up with James Yasko, who covers the team for the Houston Chronicle. They will go and trade for a veteran arm. But look, they nearly traded Urquidy last year. Or, He's now injured. You're not going to have him back until the All-Star break. Garcia's gone for the year. You don't know when you're going to get McCullers back. Jim Crane is aggressive. He wants to win another World Series title. They will go find themselves a veteran arm. It may not be as sexy as Verlander, okay? Well, but I could see them doing I it. I started I started churning the uh churning the gears over the weekend and I was thinking about some names and and uh I came up with one. He's actually a free agent. He's been throwing bullpens and some teams have shown interest. Do you know who that would be? He actually has some history with the Astros. No. Dallas Keuchel. Ooh. Now, look, Keuchel was awful last season. He was. And he wasn't great in 21 either. But yeah, he wasn't great then either. He was dominant in that COVID-shortened 2020 he was. season. And, of he course, was. he had Cy Young repertoire before then. Supposedly, he's been throwing on his own. He's been staying up. He's been interested. Teams have been in contact back and forth. I, you know, just keep that in mind. If I don't know what the relationship's like since he left, you know. And, I mean, obviously, a lot, a lot has changed with the Astros since he left. But that would be a name to monitor if, if they need some innings coming up soon. Ooh, look at you. Poll question of the day. What was the weekend's most surprising result? Was it the Astros losing a series to the Mariners? Was it Sage winning the Kentucky Derby? Was it LSU losing a series at Auburn? Or was it something else? Go vote, leave your comments, and we'll share them throughout today's show. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Spelling is hard. That's what we learned here. (laughs) Typo on the poll question of the day. That's on me. 
for typing that up in sleepiness this morning. What was the weekend's uh, most surprising result? Right now, 74% of you say LSU losing a series to Auburn. 17% say Sage wins Kentucky Derby. Obviously, it was Mage. <laughs> Winning the Kentucky Derby. Oh, that's what I get for typoing it. 9% say other. No votes for Astros losing a series to the Mariners. JPK, the OD, says LSU pitching this season. A ticking time bomb all season waiting to go boom. B-Rad says LSU pitching gets most of the blame, but has anyone looked up their fielding percentage? Number 53 in the nation and number 53 in errors committed. Team ERA is 35 with a 4.4 average. The pitchers, Sand Skeens, have, have lots of help giving up runs from their friends back there. That is something that has not been discussed at length is the Tigers fielding has not been great. And, of course, Ralph says, well, if Sage won the Derby, Mage is in for a big surprise when he gets to Pimlico. Yes, yes, exactly. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, I'm going with other. The USFL Breakers are 4-0. Much improved from last season. Good job. He has three last names, the real McLeod, who's their quarterback. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well on the poll question of the day. we got to take a timeout. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up right here on the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Let's go ahead and address the elephant in the room. JPK, the OD, likes to come after us from sometimes. An alleged friend of the show. Look, we own it when we, we, we messed up. We had a spelling error, a typo, if you will, in the poll question. He's trying to take us, rake us over the coals about it. He's feeling good about himself because his Seattle Mariners took two of three from the Astros. Let me tell you something, bud. I don't know who Sage and Auburn are. Please explain. That's because there's only so many characters in that line, so something had to be abbreviated there, JPK, the OD. Is that okay? Is that okay with you? Do we need to run the poll question of the day or anything we do with the show through JPK, the OD? Maybe that should be a poll question. Should we make JPK, the OD, a consultant for RP3 and company? What do you think, Dawson? I don't know. Yep, that one was intentional. Um <laughs> Sage and Mage, obviously not. <laughs> Sage and Mage was a typo. So as I just, just... I figure taking out a vowel, that's always your best bet, right? I mean, I figured everyone... I, I wasn't going to put AU because that's honestly more vague, in my opinion, than Auburn without the vowel in there. So I told him to simmer down now with the gift machine. I could have put Tigers. That would have been confusing, right? I mean... <laughs> it could have been. It could have been. So yeah, it's a Monday. Give us a break, JPK, the OD. Man's coming at us, raking us over the coals with screenshots. Thought we were friends, bro. Thought we were friends. This is a safe space for everyone to come and chop it up and have a good time and have some fun. But this man's feeling himself. 
You would think as salty as that, him trying to rake us over the coals, that his his Mariners would have lost over the weekend, but they didn't. They won. Maybe someone can't handle winning. Maybe that's what's what's going on here. Yeah, they actually snatched victory from the jaws of defeat, too, in Saturday's game. So really should be like more, <laughs> even more upbeat. Oh, simmer down. It's okay. We can have a case of the Mondays. It's okay. Poll question of the day. What was the weekend's most surprising result? Astros lose series to the Mariners. Mage wins the Kentucky Derby. LSU loses series to Auburn or other. LSU's pitching and their and their fielding and and look, credit B Rad for bringing this to the table because it's something that I wanted to bring up as well. Their fielding has not been good. We haven't talked about it as much because when we talk about LSU, we talk about how dominant their lineup is and how great Paul Skeens is, and then we talk about how no one else is really all that good in pitching. But you know how you can lose a game in a heartbeat in baseball sloppiness in the field sloppiness in the field will cost you every single time Don says I was a bit surprised that LSU losing the series was unexpected keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day even with our typos JPK the OD (laughs) I mean is that how you start a Monday that's so, not how we start a okay. Monday around here, is it? You know what I'm excited about, though? Um, what are you excited didn't, about? Couldn't fit it into the poll question, but Alex Magoo is my new guy in the USFL. Kid can spin it. We're going to talk USFL. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to let you put that in your back pocket. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, he doesn't play for the Breakers. He actually plays for Birmingham, who uh, the Breakers beat last week. But That beat yesterday. Uh, wait, right? then no. not. No, no, they didn't beat Birmingham yesterday. They beat um, no. They beat New Jersey. They right, beat the Generals. Yeah. They beat Birmingham last week. That's right. They beat Birmingham last but, week. But um, Alex Magoo, that's my your new guy. favorite USFL quarterback. Guy can play. Why? Why don't you love the Breakers quarterback? He's got uh, McLeod immense... Bethel Thompson is good. No, very. He's good got player. a great story. He yes. bounced around like training camps for six years in the NFL. Then played in Arena League. Then has played in the CFL. Won the Grey Cup last year. He's got a great beard. Yeah, and a, and, a, and a name that will certainly, if you scrambled those and tried to guess which one was the first name, you wouldn't know, so that's good. Um, uh, our guy Cole Kelly got a win, his first win as a pro. Memphis Showboats won their first game you know, since like the 80s. We, You know, they used to use the law firm was the nickname for, uh, what, Ben Jarvis Green Ellis? Yes. Uh, I think you could use that on McLeod Bethel Thompson. I mean, yeah, that kind of sounds like a law firm there. Yes, that's right. Your maritime injury <laughs> attorneys. I mean, it just fits into breakers, too. See? There See you what go. we did there? Oh, I like oh, that. See what we did there? We're going to talk more about the USFL, about the breakers being undefeated, 4-0, about Cole Kelly tearing it up. He had himself a good weekend as well, the former Turling Catholic star for the Memphis Showboats. And as the league in its entirety, in its second season back with Logan Grafia, he works for the USFL Newsroom. He will join us coming up at 8 o'clock today. You know what else happened over the weekend? Sad news. Vita Blue passed away. A Louisiana legend. Eddie Robinson, this is something that people don't remember, uh, people don't remember, is that 
Vita Blue, as great as he was as a pitcher, he may have even been a better quarterback. Eddie Robinson tried to convince him to not go into baseball and come play football at Grambling. And that would have been back in the time in like Grambling's heyday. But he went and chose baseball instead. And I think it worked out well for Vita because he was sensational. And when I say sensational, we're talking one of the best to ever do it. I mean, and he did it in an era that was a little bit tougher, if you will, when it comes to things. Vita Blue won a Cy Young, an MVP, a three-time World Series MVP as well. He passed away over the weekend at the age of 73. He was the AL MVP in 1971. He won the Cy Young the same year, one of those few guys that have done both in the same year. Was a six-time All-Star, a three-time World Series champion for the Athletics. Had 209 wins, an ERA of 3.27, more than 2,000 strikeouts, 143 complete games. Remember when pitchers actually pitched an entire game? Yeah, that used to be a thing. And he had 37 shutouts in his glorious career. Been inducted many years ago into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. One of the best to ever do it. Vita Blue passed away. We'll talk more about Vita someone who got to know him over the years, the former longtime sports editor at the Shreveport Times. Scott Farrell will join us in hour number three to talk about the Louisiana legend in his passing. Tough weekend on the diamond for LSU as they dropped two of three at Auburn. Paul Skeens was phenomenal. Career-high strikeout performance in Friday night's win. Then everything went sideways for them with the pitching on Saturday and then the pitching in the fielding on Sunday as they got mercy ruled by Auburn. Now, still the best lineup in college baseball. Still have the best pitcher in college baseball. Dawson and I disagree on what guy it can be, but we both believe that they have a guy that can prove to be that guy that can eat up five to six innings for them consistently. He believes it's Ty Floyd. I believe it's Coleman. Maybe it's both. That would be even better if you're LSU. But they got to find somebody. Because guess what? You know who's not that guy? Christian Little. How do you pitch so well at Vanderbilt, a perennial national powerhouse, and then just look absolutely lost? That has to be the biggest disappointment for them. Besides having three other pitchers suffer UCL injuries and are out for the season. How many teams have three guys that have UCL injuries like that? That's another weird thing. We both still like this team to make it to Omaha. They may get in some trouble in the Supers with the pitching. But they're still good enough. And they just got to find somebody that can give them five to six innings. That's it. They find that guy, they can win the national title. Plain and simple. But the fielding is a concern because they are sloppy in the field. You know how you lose baseball games, Dawson? Two ways. You know how you lose them? Poor pitching. Walks and errors. And poor defense. Yeah, walks and errors. That'll do it to you every time. 
And as great as LSU is, they have a tendency to do the walks and errors thing a little too much. Cajuns baseball goes up to Fun Row and gets themselves a sweep. Last game called due to lightning, but they're already up 10-0. So they take all three games from the Warhawks. Now they're tied for fourth in the Sunbelt Conference standings with two series left to go, six games. This weekend against Texas State, who's number three in the standings currently. And then after that, wrapping up the regular season on the road in Hattiesburg at Southern Miss. I mean, these Cowboys, they drop their game on senior day yesterday to Lamar, their border war rival. But they won the first two games. And they take that series as they move up in the standings as well, which is a big deal for them. They needed some separation. They're not going to win the regular season title. That's fine. But they definitely are putting themselves in a position to earn a top four seed for the conference tournament, which they will be hosting, which is a big deal. Let me ask you this, bud. What'd you do over the weekend? Did you have a good weekend? Did you have a weekend like Peyton Harden did where he got to his 300th career hit for the Meanings Cowboys? Did you do what your boy from Tulane did and made his Major League Baseball debut and pitched really well for the Astros even though they lost the game because the bullpen had a meltdown? No, did not get the Major League debut in. Had it on the schedule but couldn't quite fit it in Was there. your weekend as good as the old man who wore a goofy outfit and became king of England? No. Because that happened over the weekend Yeah, as that well. seems like that was probably a little <laughs> bit higher on the list. No, I had a, had a tea time scheduled yesterday, and then the, the rain on Saturday that just kept coming down. I didn't think playing conditions were going to be uh, well enough for me to get out there, so I had to cancel that. That was a bummer. You did get to play. You get to. You did get to play Thursday though. Last week, yeah, yeah got a chance go. to play last week. Hopefully, going to play today. We'll see if that all uh, if that all works out. Um, sometimes a daylight battle, but we should be good. But uh, yeah, that was a bummer. But so got to reschedule that. Um, yeah, no, not not an eventful weekend. Not not a not a whole lot going on. What about you? You didn't see. Yeah, you're a young man. You should be living up your life on the weekends. You should be taking advantage of said weekend. I mean, yeah, I had had a couple of formal engagement things to get How to. How was that? That was uh, delightful. You were very excited about attending those. Yeah. Down in Prairieville, right? Yeah, yeah. Went to a function in Prairieville on Friday. Uh that was that was great. <laughs> and then uh hung out around the pool on Saturday at a friend's place. Oh, so. oh see, relaxing yeah. by the pool. I got to go down to um the Coach Des Raging Cajuns golf tournament. Got to uh, hang out, saw Coach Dez, saw Coach Theo Sliman, saw his dad. Uh, they had a nice silent auction there. I made sure to take a autograph helmet of Elijah Mitchell, a San Francisco 49ers helmet of Elijah Mitchell, and send it to Miguez. And I was like, hey, bud, you want me to put some money down on the silent auction? He's like, oh, I wish. You should have sent the foot. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, have, him, have him stroke out why his Astros were losing. That would have been that would not have been nice at all. No, it was great. Great event down there for Coach Dez. So uh, uh, they got to uh, – they had boudin grilled cheese sandwiches, by the way. I'd be in on that oh, it was, from the sound it was, of it. It was delightful. It was delightful. So we got to do that, and then we had uh, you know, church yesterday, 
church potluck afterwards. Got to hang out with the church family. So all in all, not too bad. Got to watch my Braves afterwards. Got to watch a little New Orleans Breakers football. Did you catch um, Noah Gregson and Ross Chastain getting into it on pit road? I did get to catch that. And you know what? We'll talk about that NASCAR shenanigans coming up next because coming up after this timeout, it'll be time for the weekend that was NBA playoffs, NASCAR, and more. That's all next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on On the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Shop for curtains. Serenity now! You'll be brought up to speed on the highlights you may have missed. Thank you, you've been heavy. Here is the weekend that was on RP3 and Company. Who had a two-time league MVP getting teed up for making contact with an owner of another team on your bingo card? Anyone? Well, that's exactly what happened yesterday in game four of the Western Conference semifinals between the Denver Nuggets in the Phoenix Suns. That'll get all the headlines, and Jokic gets teed up. Uh, The Suns owner, apparently he also owns a soccer team because that flop was majestic, by the way, that he did afterwards. NBA is going to have to kind of figure this out. Is is Nicola going to get suspended for game five? I I, I would be doubtful. I mean, the the owner kind of instigated the situation a little bit. Now, Nicola shouldn't have shoved him, but, you know, he grabbed the ball, first of all. It's not his ball to grab. Uh, then Nicola kind of tried to get it from him, and he kind of turned away from him and then kind of had his hand on him first. So, I I don't know. It was a dumb situation altogether. I don't I don't think you make any more of it. The technical foul was, was warranted, and I think that's that should be the extent of it. Yeah, and I would expect the NBA to make some sort of decision today, right? This series is tied up now two games apiece. And once again, Phoenix finds itself in a position where they were down in the series and now they've evened it up. And it feels like the momentum has shifted back to Phoenix as it's knotted up now two games apiece. And let's be real. The reason why this game... This series, rather, is knotted up is because of Devin Booker. Can I I share with you what Booker has done in these NBA playoffs? May I? Am I allowed? You give me permission. Thank you. 36 points yesterday, 78% field goal percentage. 47 points, 80%. 
35, 48, 27, 53, 47 points, 30 points, 45 points, 38 points, 26 points. He's getting better as the playoffs are going on, not only in his field goal percentage, but the amount of points he can score. He is the best player on that team. And that team has Kevin Durant on it. That's what's happening right now. And that's the best thing for Phoenix to have happened is to not have Durant have to carry the load. Chris Paul is hobbled. We know DeAndre Aiden is allergic to rebounding the basketball and playing tough. And Durant is still not quite 100%, right? We see it when he plays. He's still Kevin Durant. He's still one of the greatest players of all time. One of the greatest players of his generation. And he had 36 points yesterday. But do the Suns go? It feels like the Suns are going to go as far as Devin Booker is going to take them. That's what it feels like. Even though Durant had, even though KD had 36 yesterday, it just feels like Devin Booker is the one that's kind of driving the car, so to speak. Well, and I think Devin Booker probably appreciates playing alongside Kevin Durant because I think a lot of the attention goes there. It's a little different when it's Chris Paul. He's not as much of a scoring option, so he's Correct. not going to attract as much wing pressure. So I think that uh, that's freed up Devin a little bit. And look, he's elevated his game. And his knock, the knock on him for a while was him kind of somewhat disappearing in some of these big moments down the stretch in Phoenix's big series loss to, um, what was it, Milwaukee a couple of years ago. And so Correct. he's answered the call, and he's been better, and he's and – he's, um, you know, maybe taking that next step in the maturation of his of his young career. It feels that way, right? It feels like we're seeing him ascend into the conversation of being one of the ten best players in the league right now. Speaking of one of the ten best players, uh, Jokic had fifty three in a loss. The man scored fifty three points. Yeah, and if it wasn't for like Phoenix's shooting with Landry Shamit hit five of eight threes, like they got a lot of, they just had a great night it wasn't for that, Denver probably steals this game and is in the driver's seat. But for Phoenix to do what they did these last two wins without Chris Paul was very impressive. And I think the first one, I think you chalk a lot of that up to the series shifting back to Phoenix and kind of the momentum and energy you get with a fan base. And when you're down 2-0, you're feeling that desperation. But last night, yeah, there's just an incredible shooting performance. Now, to win games 5, 6, 7, otherwise, I think you need Chris Paul back. Um, we'll see the growing injury. I mean, he's day to day and it's, yeah, it's one of those it's things tough. you're not going to probably know until that, like, I, and, and obviously we won't know, but I, I don't even know if he's going to know until that day, he's going to have to get up, try and test it out, see if he can go. But even if he goes, how much can he give him? That's a tough spot, but I think they need something out of Chris Paul in the last three games of this series to have a chance. I would agree. I think it's going to probably go seven games. Another series. That had some drama yesterday, of course, was the Eastern Conference semifinals between Boston and Philly. James Harden goes off 42 points, game-winning three-point attempt. Boston had some moments in that game that you go, what? What? But Philly has now knotted up that series. Does this change your perception of what the 76ers can or cannot do. Because once again, Embiid has not been himself coming off the injury. The big fella is still slowly kind of working his way back into 
the form that we know him for. He had 34 yesterday, but he was 11 to 26. He likes to be a little bit more efficient than that, but he still had a nice game, 34 points. Of course, Harden had 42. Looks like Embiid's starting to kind of come into form. You get a great game from Harden. You know you're not going to get the consistency from James Harden from game to game. We know this. But does this change your perception of how this series... Do you believe now Philly can win this series? Yeah, and I don't even know if it's as much about Philly or or just more about Boston's lack of, you know, sense of urgency. Focus. Yeah, I don't. It's it's strange, and you know whether it's look whether it's a coach being in this moment and a, you know a team that that had a different obviously different guys in those positions in years past in their runs to the finals. I I don't know what it exactly is, but it's just it hasn't looked clean. And and when they play well, they're really good. But when they play bad, they play really bad. And uh, yeah, they when they play bad, you're right. They play really bad. A couple of series that are looking like they're going to be really intriguing. Really, every series left. I don't. I mean, the, the, even the Knicks Heat series, which you know New York might be blowing a golden opportunity here, but like overall, I think every series has uh, has the potential to go seven games. Like maybe all four, and we'll see. Usually, you know, one or two of them's not going to, but very intriguing. We're getting some very good and intriguing NBA conference semifinals, which I'm here for. Also, over the weekend, the Kentucky Derby, the most exciting two minutes in all of sport. I decided to share my picks for win play show for the Derby before the running of the Roses on Saturday. I didn't officially place a bet. I'm not a big gambler, but I decided to share who I thought would be good. I went with Angel of Empire, Tap It Trice, and I went with a Japanese horse, Mandarin Hero is what I went with. Well, as horse racing always shows me and always shows all of us, your picks and your predictions are usually garbage, as mine were, as they quickly got thrown in the trash. Angel of Empire finished third, so that happened. The morning line favorite got scratched the day of, Forte did, despite the pleas of the trainers and the owners. So he was scratched. That made Angel Vampire and Trice your kind of favorites, but that didn't work out for them. And it was Mage that came in on that last turn, <clears throat> made the move, and off they went. And a great moment. That is a horse that is actually owned by hundreds of people. It was one of those situations. The trainer and the jockey are from Venezuela, a big deal for that country, being able to win the Derby. But the horse itself, interesting enough, is has many owners as people, just Joe Schmo, like you and I, could have bought into the horse, like a $50 ownership stake into a Kentucky Derby winner. I didn't. Did you? I did not. What a shame. We could I did have, not. We could have been there. Uh, we, we, we could have been there and, and not be here today, uh, screwing up the poll question. <laughs> so, Kentucky Derby in the books. We'll find out. Now we're going to be on the watch of figuring out, are they going to actually run in the next leg of the Triple Crown? Sometimes these horses, when they come out of nowhere and they're a long shot, they win the Derby, and then that's enough because then they can sire and make all their money and not have to run in the second leg of the Triple Crown. So we'll see that decision. They were asked about it on the track. (laughs) <laughs> during uh, after winning the derby on saturday they said yeah we're going to enjoy this for a little while and we'll make a decision whether or not we run the next leg and briefly the final thing denny hamlin 
wins the NASCAR race in Kansas, but that's not what all the headlines were for. A ton of lead changes, the most lead changes in a NASCAR race in years. I do believe I saw that correctly. In a non-super speedway, yes. Yes. Uh, but also uh, the race and Denny winning and all the drama of all the lead changes, of course, was overshadowed by some Talladega Nights fisticuffs afterwards. Correct. Yes. Um, and but the two guys involved in that, Noah Gregson's a guy who's a rookie in the Cup Series, but has um, not made a ton of friends on his way up the ranks. Known as a hothead, he's made a couple of bonehead decisions. He's gotten in some fights in the lower series. So he comes up and he gets Ross Chastain, who is a journeyman who finally kind of found stability with Trackhouse, rose to stardom last year, had a couple of crazy... He was the one who had the crazy wall-riding finish to win at Mar... or to finish in an advance in the playoffs at Martinsville, not win the race, um, when he rode around the wall. But Ross, Ch- Ross Chastain hasn't made many friends. He's got a lot of enemies in the series as well. Um, so Chastain didn't give Gregson a ton of room. Gregson didn't like it, went up to him afterwards, um, kind of grabbed him, but Chastain got the only punch in before NASCAR security was right there on the scene, which there's been a lot of debate whether they should let him go or not. Um, typically, they'd have let that go a little longer, but I think it was just where the security was already right there. I guess Correct. they kind of knew it was coming, um, and so they stepped in, and, and Gregson, unfortunately for him, didn't get to get a shot in there, but... Um, he kind of expressed the feelings of many, and I don't know, it was kind of mixed results on how people felt about it, because the funny thing is I don't think a whole lot of guys in the garage like either one of them. So there was a lot of um, <laughs> some guys feeling who, you know, there wasn't a clear cut, hey, good for you for going out and get that guy, where there has been in the past when guys have gone after Gregson in the Xfinity series. Sometimes the Xfinity drivers in the garage have all said, yeah, good for that guy. We don't really like Noah. So it's, it's interesting. After a race, you're going to raise your voice at someone, and then you're going to grab them like you're about to hit them, then you fully should expect to get punched. And I think Gregson knew that. I think he's just, you know, I think he was probably expecting to get a chance to get back at him, and then that's when or security get a steps shove. in. Right. Yeah. And then so, security uh, steps in. Tough so. break for him. But Ross Chastain just, he continues to win on the track, and it looks like he kind of got the best of that one off the track as well. Um, but he doesn't he doesn't do it the kind way. He doesn't make friends. He runs his own race, and it's uh, he's, he's one of the now stars of the sport. And I think a lot of people like the way he drives, and a whole lot of people don't. Rubbin's racing. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, our first guest of today's show, Jeff Palermo from Tiger Ag Radio, will join us. We'll talk all things LSU. That's next, right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The LSU Tigers lost a weekend SEC series for the first time this year as fielding errors and the rest of the pitching staff behind Paul Skeens was, let's be honest, Paul Bon, as they dropped two of three at Auburn. To break it all down for us is the man who co-hosts Tiger Rag Radio, Jeff Palermo, joins us now. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Doing well. How are you doing today, Raymond? I'm talking to you, bud. My day's got just <laughs> tons better. I don't know about that. 
we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes uh, during this conversation. It may turn. It might be a sharp turn the other way here. Oh, there it is. There it is. All right. Paul Skeens was magnificent on Friday, as he's been pretty much for all of the season. He could be the best pitcher in the entire country. And LSU has the best lineup in the country. And they may have the best overall player in Dylan Cruz in the country. But they lost a series this past weekend because that lack of pitching, just having a guy, whether that's Ty or Christian or Coleman or whoever it may be, being able to step up and be decent for five to six innings, they didn't have it. And their fielding betrayed them as well. And they dropped two of three to Auburn. Well, uh, this series, uh, for those that have been talking about the, the lack of pitching depth and uh, the fact that you just can't uh, you can't always come back despite having the best offense in the country, and that's what's going to derail your chances of winning a, a college World Series. Well, they <laughs> this was the, the perfect example. Um, you know, LSU didn't really hit the ball very well at all this weekend, or at least uh, as far as what we've seen. Um, you know, held. Right. Uh, what, 11 runs total for the weekend, uh, Raymond? Is something, something to that effect? I mean, this is a team that obviously can score 11 runs in a game at the drop of a hat. So, uh, very concerning. Interested to hear what Jay Johnson has to say at noon today and then uh, also tonight on his coach's show about where he thinks the, the, the state of this, this pitching staff is at because – Again, this was the second time on a Sunday that they just couldn't get anybody out in the first inning. It, it happened to them in the Tennessee series. Uh, Thatcher Hurd had the brutal performance to start the game, and LSU got behind early. And then yesterday, it was, it was just that was horrific with Christian Little and uh, Griffin Herring just unable to get anybody out. And, and then you walk six batters on top of it. It isn't like they were just uh, blasting the ball all over the ballpark. Um, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't get the ball over for a strike. So, I don't know. It's, it's very head-scratching that you just – and then you, you got Ty Floyd on Saturday night. At one point, he strikes, he strikes out seven in a row, and then the next inning, he can't throw a strike. So, it's – it's just very perplexing. Uh, look, I, either Ty or Coleman are going to have to be the guys that are going to have to step up and be more consistent for them. Because you're right, Ty shows you these stretches where you're like, okay, he's the guy, and then he inexplicably has a terrible inning. Yeah, so right. that, that's the thing that always gives me a call, pause about him. We talk about the pitching and the lack of pitching depth. And to be fair to Jay Johnson – having three pitchers that they were going to be counting on this season all have to have UCL surgeries, right? Yeah. It is, it is massive, right? And and the this team would look a whole lot different if it wasn't for that. But they're going to have to find somebody to kind of step up. Once again, they don't need someone to be Paul Skeens. They just need someone to be pretty good for like five or six innings. That's all they need. You know, yeah, you know, despite those three guys going down with with the elbow injuries and, and missing the rest of the season, I, I still feel like there should be enough pitching here to to get them through. Um, it, despite all that, um, 
I mean, you know, the three guys we're talking about, uh, you got to go all the way back. Remember, Grant Taylor's out for the year, Garrett Edwards is out for the year, and then Chase Shores is out. But you still have a guy, you still have guys that, um, in, in, in Thatcher Heard that you were expecting to be really good this season. Uh, Christian Little has uh, been a disappointment. Uh, Blake Money has had flashes here and there. Uh, Sean Dutton has uh, un, unable to really get any you know any kind of consistency. Riley Cooper has an ERA I think above six at this point. I mean, there's some there's there's just there's a lot of guys that you you should be kind of counting on that. You, even despite those injuries that you you still feel pretty good about, but they're just not getting any kind of consistent performance from them. And it's getting to the point of the year, Raymond, that, it, as you mentioned, two or three of these guys beyond Paul Skeens needs to, needs to lock it down here. It needs to be a little bit more consistent. It needs to go out there and give you, you know, if a, you know, uh, even a guy coming out of the pen, come in there, pitch three or four innings, give up maybe a run, maybe give up two runs at the most. Uh, but the, they're struggling to have that. And, uh, and again, this weekend illustrates you just can't count on scoring six, seven, eight, nine runs every game. It's just, it's just not possible. And uh, here it catches them in the Auburn series, and maybe this is the only time that happens all year. Raymond, maybe maybe the rest of the season this, the offense continues to keep scoring at the clip that they've been scoring at, and it can again uh, cover up the issues with the pitching staff. Uh, but uh, this was a, a prime example of of what could prevent you from winning the national championship is what we saw this past weekend against Auburn. And the flip side to that is this: it was a weird weekend in the SEC altogether because. All the other majority of the other ranked teams in the top ten all lost series as well, right? Yeah, so right, Vandy right. loses to Alabama, who fired their coach. Kentucky gets a sweep of South Carolina. So it was it was a interesting weekend to say the least. And here's the other thing: for my money, the the greatest LSU baseball team was 1997, and that was a team. If everyone remembers, they lost a game to Alabama, 28 to two in a weekend yeah. series that they lost 28 yeah. to two. And then they played Alabama again and lost 12 to two for the sec championship for the sec tournament. And then they ended up beating Alabama 13 to six to win the natty. So, you know, it's a long season and, and it's a long season. They still have some time to figure it out, but somebody's going to have to step up. My next question is this. We've been so focused on the lack of pitching behind schemes, Jeff, we haven't really talked a lot about the fact that their defense is at best mediocre. How concerning is it that the defense gives up sloppiness and gives up errors in bunches sometimes? Well, um, I, I, I'm not that concerned defensively. I, I, I'm not. Um, I, I mean, I think you do have some guys – that uh, you know, it's kind of hard to. Uh, I, I mean, I I wouldn't say. Yeah, I just I, I just don't think they're that bad. Now, do they make a ton of spectacular plays? I will say no. Uh, that one, that's one thing that I certainly will say, and that they will have 
games where, yeah, you know, they had a four-error performance against uh, last week when they played Alabama. Uh, they, they've had the issues here with certain games uh, that they just didn't play very good defense. But uh, I, I still think it's it's good enough to get to, to win a national championship. I, I think again, Dylan Cruz covers up a lot of issues. Um, because of how much he can roam out there in, in, in center field. I think that's the thing. I mean, I, I would say to one guy that's a big concern, if you want to point to anyone, and obviously he had two errors yesterday, is Tommy White. I mean, there's just been a couple games defensively where he hasn't – he'll have the throwing errors and so forth. But, you know, overall, I, I'm not I'm not that worried about it. I mean, in the, they're in the middle of the pack when it comes to – well, maybe towards the bottom half, I guess you could say um, – or in the bottom half uh, when it comes to fielding percentage, but um, it's not it's not the the biggest concern. Uh, are they as tight defensively as some other teams in the SEC like Vanderbilt, Arkansas, and Kentucky? No, um, but I, I think it's I think it's still good enough to win a national championship. Brother, appreciate your time as always. Have a great Tiger Rag Radio this week, my friend, and we'll talk to you next Monday, bud. All right, sounds good. Thanks a lot, Raymond. Appreciate it, man. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. LSU. Jeff's not concerned about the defense. Maybe it won't be a big deal. Baseball's funny, though, right? Baseball is funny. That's what we talk about all the time. Dawson and I make sure to say it, and Foot does as well. Anything can happen with baseball. No one expected LSU to go into Auburn and lose the series. Yet they did. It's baseball. This, this is how it works. Baseball, the game itself, is the great equalizer. It always has been, always will be. Yeah, and we'll see if I can get this comparison done before the break here. The other thing about like the, the, the level of just uncertainty that people have and the panic and this and that, like the LSU football team that won the national championship in 2019 that many people regard as the best LSU team of all time or close to it, like that team had huge fundamental flaws defensively. Like they were not very good for large portions of the season defensively. They got but, better at the end. Yes, but... Like we've talked about, football and baseball are different. And in baseball, you have a ton of different data points spread out across a season because you play 50-something games. In football, you play, what was it, 15 games at the most. So those results that if you did it like baseball and had somewhat you know smaller sample sizes that resulted in wins or losses, that team would have lost games. But you play four quarters and you play only 15 games. So even within the games that they struggled mightily, they won the game so people didn't worry about it as much. Correct. So I think that's the same situation here in baseball. Now, the difference is... That's why really great teams, best teams in the country that season, don't win the title in baseball nearly as much as they do in football. But I just think that's something to keep in mind. Like, teams have flaws. There's just never going to be a team. Like, the Oregon State team a few years back was maybe the closest thing to it, and they didn't win the title either. A team that had dominant pitching, great hitting, and a good bullpen, and they still didn't win the title. So that's just that's baseball. Because you can have all of those things. You can have the best ace in the country like LSU has. You have the best player in the country in Dylan Cruz like LSU has. You have the best lineup in the country 
doesn't mean that you're going to win the title because it's baseball. This is not football. And foot says it all the time, and I'll use a footism. Stop thinking like football. This is baseball. It's a different thing. It's a different beast. We've got to take a timeout. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three. We'll kick it off with Logan Graffia of USFL Newsroom. That's next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Uh, the final hour of RP3 and Company has arrived as we're broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. I'm Raymond Parse III, better known as RP3. Of course, I'm joined inside the studios by the producer extraordinaire Dawson Iserlo. Coming up half an hour from right now, Scott Farrell, former longtime sports editor at the Shreveport Times, will join us to talk about the life and legacy of Vita Blue, who we lost over the weekend a great Louisiana legend, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, and one of the best pitchers to ever do it. Man had some demons, was able to battle back from those and have a tremendous, great life, which he gave back to the community over and over again. And we'll dive into that half an hour from right now. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. It was a busy weekend. What was the biggest surprise for you, the biggest surprising result, if you will? Was it? The Astros losing the series to the Seattle Mariners on the road in the Emerald City. Was it Mage winning the Kentucky Derby? Was it LSU losing a series at Auburn or was it something else? Right now, 71% of you say LSU losing a series at Auburn. 16% say Mage winning the Kentucky Derby. 7% say other and 6% say Astros losing a series to the Mariners. So keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter. And we'll make sure to share them throughout today's show. We've covered a lot of ground, covering a lot of topics this morning. Kentucky Derby, NBA playoffs, NASCAR, LSU baseball, Raging Cajun baseball, McNeese baseball, Houston Astros. But right now it's time for us to talk a little USFL. New Orleans Breakers got the win yesterday against the Generals out of New Jersey. They're 4-0. We'll talk about how they're playing at such a high level this season. We'll also talk about former Turlings Catholic star Cole Kelly. Second start in the USFL. Got his first win as he led the showboats to a win on Saturday. To break it all down for us is our friend Logan Graffia from USFL Newsroom. Logan, good morning, brother. How are you? Good morning, good morning, good morning. I am doing great. All How right, that's you, Mr. Raymond. That's what I like to hear, bud. You're doing great. All right, let's start off. Let's talk about these breakers. <laughs> Only undefeated team in the USFL. What's been the big difference this year as compared to last year for the Breakers, where they were kind of in the middle? This year, they're clearly one of the best teams in the league. What's the big difference? Well, the difference from last year and this year is, I'd say, two things. One is the coaching from going from Larry Fedora to John D. Filippo. 
Then you got the quarterback room. Last year, we probably had one of the weakest quarterback rooms out there. You go out and get someone like McLeod Bethel Thompson, who was a two-time Grey Cup champion, the CFL, and you bring that into your quarterback room, who's basically, you're going to look at him as the seasoned vet. I mean, every time you would think the breakers are down, they're not that far out of it because you have a good seasoned vet at quarterback, and then you got... John D. Filippo, who's a first-time quarter, uh, first-time head coach, by the way, but they seem to be able to make adjustments on the fly, and it, it that just seems to be working this year, way better than it did last year. You know, the thing about the quarterback intrigues me a little bit because here's a guy that bounced around the NFL, trying to hang on, played for you know five or six multiple teams, pretty much a training camp practice squad guy. He makes his way to the AFL, but then he really kind of starts to shine when he makes it to the Canadian Football League. So this is a veteran guy in his 30s that's been around the block. How much is his experience bouncing around professional football played a role in what he brings to this team this year? Oh, it's played a significant role. It's kind of like, I mean, I mean, we've heard uh, Dennis Allen with the Saints use the term common presence when it came to Andy Dalton, but... This time, it actually makes sense when you use the phrase common presence because he's been around. He's been through the ringer. He's been all over the place. He's even played in the UFL, which isn't even around anymore. So him being around and playing in different leagues and even playing in a league like the Canadian Football League, which, I mean, you that's all they do up there is just pass the football. So that experience just plays a significant factor, and you can see it like towards the end of games when the game's on the line and you have to get that first down to seal the to seal the deal. I mean, he helps you get that. I mean, having that season vet is just a huge plus this year. Plus he has a majestic beard, so they can't go <laughs> wrong there, Logan. All right. You can't, you can't go you wrong. Can't. You can't go wrong it's there. Like, uh, he's got the Fitz magic beard. He does have the Fitz magic beard. As good as he is and as good as this offense is, it, it really, the guy that stirs the drink is the, the young man that lines up at running back, correct? Yes, sir. Wes Hills, I mean, did not get a single snap in week one to leading the league in rushing touchdowns. And rushing, if I'm not mistaken, too, is just truly something that you're just going to have to keep watching. I mean, it's truly incredible to watch because coming out of the draft, when he's coming out of a school called Slippery Rock, I had him on my personal draft board, and I still can't believe the Detroit Lions cut him. I mean, I was telling my other Breakers guy who covers the Breakers that Wes Hills kind of – he's reminded me of like a little Marshawn Lynch out there. He's like – it takes more than one person to bring him down. I mean, he runs very angry. And I, I love the way that he runs because you if you need that extra yard to get that first down he's going to get it and it's just truly incredible to watch what West Hills is doing this year Breakers are the only undefeated team in the USFL they got out a win yesterday against the Generals of New Jersey they didn't have their best game credit New Jersey for playing some tough defense frustrating the league's best offense i watched that game yesterday uh, what does it say about this year's Breakers team that even when they're bottled up and they're frustrated offensively, they still find a way to gut out a win. It's all about coaching, really. I mean, you have to just look at the staff in general. John DeFilippo's made an incredible staff. I mean, 
the one coach that he's kept along as the offensive line coach from last year and even the D.C. from last year. But like I said, you got to credit John DeFilippo's uh, coaching and uh, ability to make adjustments on the fly in the first half, even in halftime, making adjustments, coming out. It, it really is all about adjustments. Uh, so I got to credit John DeFilippo. And that's where I really think the main difference is from this year and last year. Because I didn't, I, I didn't see none of that last year, and that's why the Breakers went six and four, and they struggled tremendously this year. Even when they struggle, I'm like, okay, I believe in DiFilippo to kind of like you know pull the reins back on the horse and kind of like you know steer this thing in the right direction. And that they are four and zero, the only undefeated team in the USFL. We're talking with Logan Grafia of USFL Newsroom. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, let's talk about a guy that you know personally and I know personally as well, and that's Cole mm-hmm. Kelly. He gets mm-hmm. a chance to play pro ball finally this year. Uh, the former Turling Catholic high star went to Arkansas, didn't work out there, sat at southeastern Louisiana, then rewrote the record books, won the FCS Heisman Trophy, and then got an opportunity at a, at a camp for the Washington Commanders but didn't stick on. He gets signed by the Memphis Showboats this offseason, starts the year as the backup, became the starter two weekends ago, put up huge numbers over 300 yards passing. This last weekend, he guides the Showboats to a win, their first one since they rebooted the franchise. What do you make of what you're seeing from Cole? Well, I mean, he's playing just like he did at Southeastern. I'm not totally surprised, I mean. Before uh, the Breakers signed uh, McLeod, Bethel Thompson, I mean, I was banging the table for the Breakers to sign Cole Kelly because I've seen the man play in person. I know what he can do. I mean, when I was at Southeast and I was telling people, he reminds me of a little, young Big Ben, but with more better running ability. And, I mean, what you're seeing with him doing on the showboats, he's playing exactly how he did at Southeastern, I mean. The QB draws up the middle. I mean, him just able to shred the defense. I mean, he's able, he's an accurate passer. If you give him time to throw, he will pick you apart. And I'm actually happy that he was able to guide the Showboats to a win finally. And the Showboats are using him. They, they're looking like they're running a Southeastern type of offense. They're running a Cole Kelly offense. They're not really running a Showboats offense. So I'm glad Todd Haley, their coach, was able to, like, you know, okay, say, hey, Let's run what is best for Cole Kelly and not, like, keep doing what he's doing and what wasn't working. So I'm truly happy for Cole Kelly. Though I'm not a Showboat fan, I will be rooting for a fellow Southeastern Lion. Yeah, and it's a great story because he gets a chance to play pro ball. Why do you think it took so long for them to eventually make the switch and turn to Cole because their offense, you're right, Todd Haley's decided we're just going to make it essentially what Cole is comfortable with running. And it's, you know, they nearly pulled off a win the week prior if the defense wouldn't have gave up a game-winning drive in the last few minutes. And then they win the game this past week with Cole running that offense. Why do you think it took Todd so long to make that switch? Well, I mean, going into the season, I know Brady White was the starter. And, I mean, Brady White, of course, played for the Memphis Tigers in college. I think – in camp, Brady White I won the job, and I'm thinking just because he was like a hometown guy, that was probably just the way to get the fans in. If you ask me personally, I 
don't think Brady White is a bad quarterback, but as I've told people, I know what Cole Kelly can do. I mean, I've seen the man play with my own two eyes, and I just don't know why it took so long for Ty Haley to do it. I mean, I it's truly questionable on Haley's part to not, like, you know, start Cole right away because I think he's a better overall quarterback than Brady White at this point. And it, it was just truly a questionable decision, if you ask me. Well, they've kind of righted the ship a little bit and went with the guy that's now helping them win actual ball games. I want to uh, wrap it up by asking a couple of questions about the league in general. And you and I have joked about this through text messaging <laughs> and on social media. You know, when the USFL came back, they're like, yuck, look, we're going to do this for one year essentially remotely in Birmingham, and then we're going to expand, and the teams, they'll be able to play in their home cities. That didn't happen. It's been delayed. They they have multiple regional sites this year, but the game plan is for the New Orleans Breakers to actually play in New Orleans next season. Where do we stand on that, and where would the Breakers actually play, and could the old shrine on airline be repurposed to be the home for the New Orleans Breakers? So everything that I've been hearing, and even as recently as speaking with a, a, a league source, I mean, the plan is for all teams to be playing in their respective markets next year, and that includes the Breakers playing in New Orleans, where they play at. That's a good question, but I've been speaking with people around and, I mean, asking where where they could possibly play at, and you have to – I even wrote an article saying maybe they could play at the Shrine or even uh, Yeoman Stadium. I mean, I'd love to see them, like, you know, purchase the old Tron and Airline and make that their own stadium. It's right next to the Saints facility, so that would be really perfect. But if you ask me, the most realistic option is Yeoman Stadium, which is Tulane Stadium. I mean, I think Tulane just seems like the right choice if it's not the Shrine, of course. I mean, Tulane Stadium isn't like a huge stadium, so I think you can maybe sell it out if it you were able to get that many people in there. So that's the plan. Now, whether that actually happens or not, that's to be determined. But I've been told multiple, multiple times, and like I said, even as recently as being the, the, the teams are going to be in their respective markets next year, and that's the plan. All right, Logan, we'll get you out of here with this. Last year, the USFL came back. They had no competition in the spring. This year, they've had competition with the XFL, which is gearing up for its championship game as well. Is there room to have two competing spring professional football leagues in this country right now? Uh, it's just I've been iffy on it because I'd always thought maybe it would be become oversaturated, but – it seems like there might be room for two leagues because there's a huge following for both. I mean, you have USFL and XFL fans always arguing on social media saying, oh, no, our league's better. Oh, no, our league's better. But if you ask me personally, I truly believe that you could possibly see a merger sooner rather than later because if you could bond the two leagues, that would be 16 teams. And, I mean, fans love football, so I, I can't see – why not it could why it couldn't work but i personally think there might be a merger soon and i think that'd be cool to see logan 
appreciate your time. Tell the people how they can follow you on social media and where they can go to read all your stuff that you're doing for USFL Newsroom. Well, uh, I'm on Twitter predominantly at uh, at the Soul Man Fifty Seven Soul spelled S S O U L, and I'm on Facebook and Instagram. You can find me all over there. All you gotta do is just search my name, Logan Graffia, and you will find me. Logan, appreciate your time, brother. Keep up the tremendous work, bud. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known for being a well-tempered and thoughtful sports journalist. The incompetence, the absolute abundance of arrogance from Rob Manford makes me want to punch him in his throat. Okay, well, we all have our bad days. I'm not kidding. If he was right here in the studio, I would walk up to him and throw him a punch. Well, let's all hope he took his meds today. Back to hopefully a calm and collected RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana's sports Sports station. station. I do have a rant to get to shortly, but first, for the Houston Astros, we'll have their game on tonight. Just a reminder, Strohs, Angels, live from Anaheim. Hey, why can't the Angels just go back to being called California Angels? It just makes the most sense. That's what they were for years. Just be the California Angels. Represent the whole state. You're in Anaheim, which, by the way, is not Los Angeles. I like the Anaheim Angels. I think that flows. That flows as well. Go back to being Anaheim Angels or California Angels. Okay? Stop with all this Los Angeles nonsense because you're not Los Angeles. Okay? You're just not. Stop it. The the Strohs. Once again, I had a conversation with someone over the weekend. It's not time to panic. It's not time to be concerned. But there are some things that are a little worrisome for the Strohs, okay? We talk about how they're always a slow starter. This is the first time that the Astros, this late in the season, are 500 or worse since 2016. That was prior to the run of the six straight ALCS appearances. So, slow starts... Right, they're having the news over the weekend that Jose Arquiti will not be back until maybe the All Star break. Chandler Rome reported on this. Is something that gives you pause because you're like, I thought that was going to be a brief IL stint. At first, we thought both Garcia and Arquiti were going to be brief IL stints. Come to find out, Garcia's done for the year, and now Arquiti may not be back until the All Star break. Now, they got some young guns, as Dawson pointed out. His uh, BFF from Tulane pitched well over the weekend, but the bullpen let him down. I do not know him personally, just for the record. Uh, I mean, okay, is, is, he, is he someone that you possibly have a man crush on? Can we say that? Not really. <laughs> okay, someone Dawson thinks is a good 
pitching prospect for the Astros. Is that more? That worked. There we go. There we go. I mean, that's boring. It has nothing to it. It's a little flat, but that's fine. That's what you want. Dawson wants to be more boring, less exciting. That's fine. That's fine. They got some young guys, right, that can pitch well for them. And here's the other thing. You're going to get Altuve back later this month. You're going to get Michael Brantley back, it looks like, this week. You still got Alvarez, who's a monster. Kyle Tucker will get out of his slump. Dubon is cooled off. Bregman is cooled off. But you got enough guys. They're going to be fine. But I do believe that you're going to see this team be aggressive and they may go out and get themselves a veteran arm by the trade deadline. De- trade deadline. Because you're not going to have Garcia. Are you really going to put are you really going to put everything on the shoulders of a couple of young guys, rookies, or second-year players to be able to guide you to another World Series? Because that's what you're thats what you're in the position of having to do right now. Because you don't know when McCullers is coming back still, which is weird. I think you're going to see Houston go out and get themselves a veteran arm. That's what I think you're going to see. The other thing that's slightly a little concerning about the Astros – not, not not, to be alarmed about. Obviously, the pitching health is one thing. And the fact that they're just hovering around 500. Is their right-handed hitters have not done well, Dawson. This is courtesy of Chandler Rome, our friend at The Athletic now. The Astros are getting 677 OPS and only 367 slugging percentage from their right-handed hitters. Only the Guardians, Nationals, and Tigers have lower numbers from their righties. So if their right-handed hitters can get their act together, that would go a long way of having this team start to ascend. Because once again, we just saw it recently, right? We saw them take two or three from the Toronto Blue Jays. We saw them sweep my Atlanta Braves in Atlanta. We saw them take two or three in Tampa, shutting out the best team in baseball back-to-back games. And then they turned around and lost two of three to Philly, two to three to San Francisco, and now two to three to Seattle. So they're wildly inconsistent to start the season. But this is still the Astros. And they're still getting Brantley back. And they're still getting Altuve. And you know they're going to go trade for a veteran arm by the trade deadline. They still got Alvarez. They still got Tucker. They don't even have to trade. Just call Dallas Keuchel. I'll call him for him if they want me to. Don't have his number, but if they give it to me, I'll call him. (laughs) I don't have his number, but they give it to me. I'll take care of it. So just just be patient. I understand Astro fans are a little concerned. Just pump the brakes yet. It's only May the 8th. Speaking of May the 8th, let you know that on Wednesday, we are proud to let you know that we'll have STM Cougar Baseball on the station right here, broadcasting live from Sulphur home of the state championships for both softball and baseball. Cougars are in the semifinals. Danny Jones will be on the call. Our guy will have them live for you. Starting off, 445 will be pregame. First pitch is scheduled for 5 o'clock. And you're asking me, RP3, that's great. Who is STM playing? Well, here's my rant. We don't know yet. What do you mean, we don't know yet? No, we don't know yet. STM played their quarterfinal game 
series against Buckeye. They started that on May the 4th. What day of what day of that week was that? Was was that last Thursday, Dawson? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Last Thursday. And then you know what the STM Cougars did? They went ahead and closed it out by playing the second game of the best two of three on Friday, knocked it out, won it 12 to 1, punched their ticket to the state championship uh semifinals. Great. They're waiting on number 10 seed De La Salle and number two seed E. D. White. Would you like to know when they played their first game of their series, Dawson? Would you like to know? It was uh, It was also that May the 4th. It was also on Thursday. A game won by E.D. White, 8 to nothing. They haven't played another game. Apparently, they opted to take Friday off, Dawson. They opted to take Friday off. I'd wish I had Friday off. For some senior activities or whatever nonsense they came up with. And then they're like, not a problem. We'll just play the twin bill on Saturday. Well, guess what happened? Because you decided to take Friday off where you had the good weather to be able to get in the game. Mother Nature said, not today, my friend. And since Catholic schools have to get permission from either the diocese or someone on campus to play on Sunday, they didn't play yesterday either. So Edie White and De La Salle will play today to finish up their quarterfinals. And guess what? If they need to play a doubleheader, they'll have to do it today as well. If they need a game three, they'll have to play a twin bill today and then turn around and play a state semifinal game on Wednesday. You know what my late dad would say? It's a term I can't say on the air. But somebody's ate up with the you-know-what. Play the game on Friday and be done with it. Now you're asking your team, who may have to play two games today, to turn around and have to play a state semifinal game on Wednesday. Stupidity is a nice way of describing that. Good for St. Thomas More. They get to just sit back and go, what are you doing? You played the first game of your playoff series on Thursday. And it's still not done. I didn't expect this to be the what you I, I didn't I didn't see this how they've handled the state softball in particular, how they've handled the state baseball playoffs, how the different divisions have different ways of playing their games. Some have to play best two out of three series. Some only play single games. Then when they get to sulfur, they only play single games. The whole thing is a mess and it is trash. They've dropped the ball on this. The state did once again. They could have had something great. It used to be great. Now they've ruined it. You didn't expect that fieriness from me on today, did you? Did not. Nope, 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 did not. But the good thing is we will have STM Cougar baseball Wednesday afternoon right here on the game. And you know what? If they win, they'll play on Saturday for the state championship, and we'll have that for you as well. First, they got to take care of things on Wednesday, and it would be great if they knew who they were actually playing. We got to take a timeout. When we return... We'll talk about a man who didn't have to deal with the the dumbness and the stupidity of the playoff formats back in his day because Vita Blue was an absolute monster, one of the best to ever do it. He passed away over the weekend. To talk about the man and the legend and the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer is the former longtime sports editor of the Shreveport Times, Scott Farrell. He'll join us next right here on The Game.
This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. This past weekend, a busy weekend in the world of sports, especially here in the state of Louisiana, we ended up losing one of our own, a legendary baseball player, one of the best ever to do it, MVP, Cy Young Award winner, threw a no-hitter, won three World Series rings, went to multiple All-Star games, and a man who also battled some of his own demons, but conquered those and had a tremendous life in helping out other future baseball stars and members of the community along the way. Vita Blue passed over the weekend. And to talk more about the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famers, a man who got to know him better than most, especially later in life, the former longtime sports editor at the Shreveport Times, my old bud Scott Farrell joins me now. Scott, good morning to you, bud. How are you? My friend, it's been too long. Good morning. It's uh, it has been a while, but yes, I'm doing great. Hope you are as well. So, tell me when you heard the news that Vita Blue had passed away. Was the first thing that kind of sprang to your mind? It was it was just crushing. Uh, I mean, he was 73 years old, but really, it, it, you don't think of him as being that old. And and uh, I mean, this is one of the guys that you just you know you follow as a kid, and then you get to meet him as an adult, and uh, just a great human being and you know it's just it's just crushing to to, to hear that news and because uh, he had a lot of he, he was still doing a lot of community work in the bay area and you know had a lot to give had a lot to give to uh to society still and uh, you hate to see you know someone dying to, and to me you know if the median age is of, of life expectancy is 78 then then he was he came in short you know i mean he, he still had years to live and so uh, it was just, it was just, it was just kind of crushing to to hear that he had that he had died. Walk me back you know, through. You got to know him over the years, talking to him, reporting on him, doing stories, just having casual conversations with him. Uh, what's the thing that you remember the most, or that you'll remember him for the most, Scott? Uh, a lot of things, actually, but uh, just a couple. One was just his graciousness. Um, in 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 a couple of different examples, uh, my daughter and I were out for in Oakland for their uh, the 2014. They had their 40 year reunion of the 74 World Series team, and then we got to we got to have time with him at this meet and greet, and uh, and he was just gracious. With my my daughter was 15, and you know, he's treated her so well. And uh, but then the other thing is is he keeps in he kept in touch with his uh, his roots in Northwest Louisiana and in Webster in, in the not Webster DeSoto Parish in uh, in Mansfield and he, and he he was he was well aware of things that were going on there and, and uh, the way things had changed with the development of I forty nine and all and so even though he had, he was living in California he still was 
coming back and was still keeping in touch and still, you know, it, it had a place in his heart. And, uh, and, and so those are things that come off, you know, right off the top of my head. Uh, just the graciousness, but also, you know, still having hometown roots and still, you know, keeping up with things in his hometown. Those, those are just a couple right off the top of my head that come to come to mind. You know, he was the uh, oldest of six and grew up there, raised in Mansfield, right there in, in DeSoto Parish. He attended DeSoto High School, and he was a great pitcher for the baseball team, but he was also a phenomenal quarterback. I mean, yep. back then, we're talking the late 60s, he threw for 3,400 yards and 35 touchdown passes while rushing for more than 1,600. He was such a dynamic football player that Eddie Robinson – tried desperately to have him stay close to home and play quarterback for him for Grambling, correct? Yes, and uh, he was it, he, he was supposed to be going to the University of Houston to run the Veer for Bill Yeoman, but uh, a lot of people don't realize, too, this is you know pre-integration in, uh, in, in Louisiana, and so he also had offers from Notre Dame and Purdue. And uh, so, I mean, he was a fantastic athlete, obviously, uh, to be, you know, a, a major league player that would that play for 17 seasons, but he was also a great quarterback, and and yeah, he could have been running the Veer offense for Houston. And and you're right, uh, Eddie Robinson wanted to play at Grambling, and and that was in Grambling's heyday. And so, uh, yeah, it, it, it's unfortunate that uh, that his time was uh, when there was still segregation, but. Uh, you, you can't take anything away from his athletic ability and what and what he accomplished on the on the football field as well. We're talking with Scott Farrell, former Shreveport Times sports editor. We're talking about Vita Blue, the Louisiana legend, Louisiana sports Hall of Famer that passed away over the weekend. One of baseball's great pitchers. He was known for working fast. He would do great in this pitch clock era. Uh, he pounded the strike zone, known for that fastball that he was able to throw routinely 94, 95 miles per hour. Pete Rose famously said that he threw as hard as anyone he faced. And some say that he was one of the hardest throwers of all time, along with Nolan Ryan. Uh, to be able to pitch that hard and throw that hard for that long, I mean, it's just remarkable that he was able to do that for as long as he did. Yeah, that was the old blue blazer. Was the was the fastball there? And and the thing is, the game was so different then than it is now. Um, and I was looking before only getting on the call. I was just looking up, and there was a game in '71 where he threw 11 shutout innings, struck out 17, and got a no decision because the game went 20 innings. You, you got guys that aren't throwing 11 innings in three starts now. You know, I mean, it's unbelievable to think that you could throw 11 shutout innings and 17 strikeouts and come away with a no decision. But but the game was different then, but uh, but some things aren't different, and that was the fact that, he, he yeah, he was he, he was a great pitcher with a great command of a fastball and, and had one of the greatest seasons of all time in, in 1971, for sure. In 1971, he earns his first of six all-star nods he is the AL MVP that year. He also wins the AL Cy Young. He led the league in ERA. Uh, when you look back at what he was able to do there in that 1971 season, obviously it'll go down as one of the greatest pitching performances of all time. And also, on top of that, you know, he kind of set the tone 
for that great dynasty that would come for the Oakland Athletics, which began the next year when they won their first of three straight World Series titles. Yeah, and the thing, other thing is that you got to understand, too, or people need to understand, is baseball was different back then in the sense that it was the national pastime. And so he comes onto the scene and just, you know, mercurial-like, and, and here he is. He's got an ERA under two, and he's got 300 strikeouts, and, and people are buying tickets to pack the stadium. They're packing the stadium to watch him pitch. And uh, the guy was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, Time, Newsweek. I mean, he was a national phenomenon that year because here's this guy, and he's got the the, the, the leg kick and all. And, I mean, it's just this, you know, there was just a pizzazz to the way he pitched. And uh, and so he, he just it just burst onto the national scene. And, and so he transcends just baseball, and he transcends sports to become this national figure. And uh it's just, uh, I don't know that that's, I mean, yeah, Shohei Otani's great, but does Shohei Otani, you know, does he capture the imagination of just regular people and, and not just baseball and sports fans? I don't know. But it, but in this case, Vada Blue was, was on everybody's tongue. You know, everybody could, was knew who Vada Blue was in 1971. He goes on to win three World Series titles. Even after leaving Oakland, he still has a very productive career pitching for the Giants in two stints and then in between with the Royals. He retires with uh, more than 200 wins and more than 2,000 strikeouts. He gets inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame and even serves as an analyst for uh, a while as well as doing charity work. Uh, Tell us a little bit about his post-game career, so to speak, the ups and downs of that. Yeah, I mean, there were there were the you know the, you, there was the substance abuse issues that he eventually conquered, and uh, and he was he, he did a lot of work with the uh, with both the Giants and the A's, and because he was living out in the Bay Area at the time, and um, and he did a lot of work with with you know uh, kids in their uh, youth baseball programs and stuff in the Bay Area, and so I mean the guy gave a lot back to the game, and. Uh, you know, I just can't say enough about him. I mean, um, just a good guy to deal with and good guy to be around. And um, and like I said earlier, I mean, he he never really forgot his Louisiana roots. I mean, yeah, he ended up living out in the Bay Area, but that's where his where his business interests and stuff were at that time. And so, never really. I mean, he never forgot Louisiana. Uh, he went into a sports hall of fame there in Northwest Louisiana. And, and, you know, a lot of times people blow these things off because they're, they're not, you know, Cooperstown or whatever, but he was there happy to be there. Just, you know, um, reliving old times talking about, uh, Clyde Washington, who had been his coach as another coach that I knew from covering Mansfield. And, uh, I mean, just a, just a down to earth guy, you know, I was listening, uh, yesterday on the, on the radio, uh, it was a, I guess it was a Phillies, uh, Red Sox game. The Phillies announcer, the guy was talking about his memory was he'd sent off a bunch of cards, baseball cards to players to see, you know, try to get an autograph sent back or whatever. And the very first one he got back was Vada Blue. And I mean, he just had a touch with people, you know, I mean, just like I said, I mean, at the, at the reunion, he just was just, you know, comfortable, um, Talking to fans, talking to my daughter, you know, he talked to my daughter and was just just very gracious. And 
Uh, can't say enough about the guy. I mean, he, like I said, he was just really a good guy. And, and you know, we all have flaws. And, I mean, I think that's kind of almost made him more human in a way. And, um, and, and especially at that time, that was another thing that was kind of prevalent at the in the game at the time. And so, you know, I mean, it's just – it was just humanity, and so um, just a really good guy. And, and I, I think you could almost make a case for the Hall of Fame for him with the, you know, like you said, the 200 wins, the 2100 strikeouts. Uh, hopefully, the Veterans Committee maybe one day, maybe one day he gets in. But whether he gets into Cooperstown or not, he was certainly, you know, one of the greatest ever to come out of Louisiana, and definitely, you know, glad that he was into the got into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame while he was alive and could enjoy it and uh, just, you know, can't say enough about the guy. Scott, can't say enough about you making the time, brother. Thank you so much. <laughs> I know you're a busy man, and uh, but I appreciate your insight and you sharing those stories about you and Vida. Uh, we lost a good one over the weekend, my friend. Thank you so much for your time and sharing those memories. All right. Thanks so much, Ray. Take care. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and Company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, I want to take a moment to thank our guest Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio, Logan Graffia of USFL Newsroom, and Scott Farrell, former Shreveport Times longtime sports editor, for joining us to help us kick off this week. It's going to be a tremendous week. By the way, Thursday we'll be broadcasting live from LSUE. Oh, RP3 Company back on the Cajun Prairie. That's going to happen. Poll question of the day. By the way, sidebar, I've decided to forgive JPK the OD for him coming strong at us for some typos. He said he was sorry. I forgave him. We've moved on. He's still part of the family. Poll question of the day, final results. What was the most surprising result from the weekend? 69% of you say LSU losing the series to Auburn. 17% say Mage winning the Kentucky Derby and 7% say Astros losing to the Mariners and 7% also for other. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day and left your comments on Facebook and Twitter. That's going to do it for us. For the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlo, I'm Raymond Pars III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.